0: The reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 2 and can be found on page 1151 in the Bibles in front of you. Fourteen years later I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important... Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also in work at my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do.
1: Did someone take my clicker? (laughs) You can't see it down there, Dave. Someone dropped their clicker. (laughs) Don't know who that was. Um, I'll just mention one thing before we start. Um, Many of you may know uh, Nancy Heptenstall, Mike Heptenstall's mum, Uh, She had to go urgently to hospital yesterday for a burst aneurysm on the brain. Uh, She's had surgery. She, I understand, is in intensive care. Uh, I was just in touch with Mike uh, yesterday, so I'm just going to pray for Nancy. They understand so far uh, the treatment's been successful, but I thought we should pray for her today before we start. Father, we do thank you for uh, the Heptonstall family, and we pray this particular day for Nancy Um, in hospital recovering um, from surgery and treatment and I do pray Lord that um, you would be at work bringing healing uh, and restoration to her. Father may she know your presence with her uh, and be with all the family in this troubling time we ask in Jesus name. Amen. I want to start by sharing a fairly shocking story. That's a true story. Uh, it happened at another church that I worked in. The occasion was Sunday, Anzac Day. And unusually, uh, Anzac Day celebrations obviously were happening uh, in the city, but uh, church was also happening that morning. And a lady who, very fine Christian lady, uh, walked into church that morning. She normally came at the 10 o'clock service, but this day she came at the 8 o'clock service. And when I say she's a fine lady, she's a very fine lady. Um, She and her husband had served in Papua New Guinea uh, as missionaries. Uh, They went on to serve later on in Afghanistan. Uh, They've served in East Timor uh, with medical mission. But on this Sunday, uh, she was greeted at the door by one of the eight o'clockers who looked at her with a steely look and just looked in her eyes and said, what are you doing here on Anzac Day? You're a Jap. Uh, It was one of the most outrageous and awful things I've ever seen happen at church. Uh, He was white. uh, He had served in the war. What was fascinating was uh, he loved to hear the gospel preached and it told me that many times. But yet this day you wonder what impact the gospel had actually had on him. We're in the middle of a series on Galatians and one of the things we've said about this series is that the gospel actually affects everything. Uh, I guess I wondered that day had it really affected that person because you see when you understand the gospel and what Galatians will teach us it actually does change everything and we're going to look today at how the gospel uh, brings unity. And we're going to be challenged about our attitudes to race and culture, to class and poverty, and to Christians who look and feel different to us. What does it mean to actually be united as Christians? It's a big issue today, gospel unity. And we're going to have a look at this question because, you see, we need to keep asking ourselves, do we want to change and grow and do we want the gospel to impact us? Because the gospel has the power to change all of us. And I think all of us would agree, all of us, when you're asked the question, do you want to change and grow? You would typically say yes. Now, there may be some people who are fairly narcissistic in personality and think they've arrived and don't need to change. But I think the majority of us would say yes. Um, we want to change we want to develop we want to get better but on the topic of uh, unity is it possible for the church to be united it's one of our biggest questions and challenges in today's world how do we respond to cultures and different races and different classes of people and different types of people and i think particularly as the debate on immigration rages in australia You could be forgiven for asking if you came in from outside Australia, is this a xenophobic culture? Where we are afraid of the stranger. It's a question worth asking. Are we xenophobes? Uh, The days of living in an isolated community where people are fairly much the same has changed. Uh, The monocultural nature of Australia is gone. Now it is worth saying one observation having lived for many years in Wollongong which was very multicultural, uh, the northern beaches in some ways is really one of the last bastions of Anglo-Saxonism. One of the things that has struck me in living here is how white the community is and how that actually does not reflect Australian culture in general. It is a particular thing. That is true of the northern beaches and you see the challenge is the same for us as churches uh, there's no end to the number and type of christians that you can find in the world today and in australia today there is this denomination and that denomination, this church and that church there are social justice churches Uh, There are worship churches, there are charismatic churches, there are evangelical churches. There are teaching churches, there are discipleship churches, there are Baptist churches, there's Presbyterian churches, Uniting churches, Anglican churches, there's independent churches, you name it, you've got a complete raft of churches that you can pick from. And there's no end to the list and types of ways that you can categorise all the branches of Christendom in the modern world that we live in. Are you Anglican or Catholic? Are you mainline or independent? And if you're an outsider to the Christian church, one of the complaints that you do have is why is it that you seem to be fighting so much as Christians? Uh, You only have to look at some of the Facebook blogs to see the way Christians can disagree. And you're meant to be the church. What is it with all the differences? Do they really matter? And if you know a bit more about the Christian message and if you've come from outside, you might even quote Jesus at us as the church and say, didn't he say to you, you'll be known by your love? Aren't you meant to be kind of on the same page together? Three things we want to look at today. First is this, gospel unity. What does it actually mean to be united by the gospel? Uh, The second one is gospel unity and its limits. And thirdly, gospel unity, its fruits. So that's where we're going. But if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to open up to Galatians chapter 2. As we begin to look at gospel unity and what it means now who loves going to meetings come on put your hand up who loves going to meetings i don't think many of us actually look forward to it. but you know meetings can be very very significant you see decisions made in meetings can affect people for better or for worse Uh, some can be very good some can be very difficult i've been in all sorts of meetings i've been in wonderful meetings i've been in meetings that have just left me appalled Meetings can pass budgets, meetings can slash budgets, meetings you can have staff hired, meetings uh, staff can be fired. Uh, meetings can have great consequences in people's lives. And probably the most important meeting that took place in Christendom is the one we're going to look at today. Now you might have even, even realised that in the Bible reading today. Today's Bible reading is actually about a meeting that took place. And I want to put forward to you that it's the most important meeting that happened in Christendom. Now, there are a number of meetings that are recorded in the book of Acts, which is the early record of the early church. Uh, There was a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13. Very significant from that sparked the mission to the Gentiles. Paul and his associates were sent out and the Gentile mission began. Uh, You've got Acts 15 And you've got the Jerusalem Council, which is talking about the Jewish-Gentile issue. But in between them was a much more important meeting. It was a small meeting, a private meeting, and it took place between Paul and the three pillars of the Jerusalem church. Uh, You could call them the kind of senior apostles. It was James, who was the half-brother or step-brother of the Lord Jesus. He was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Uh, There was the Apostle Peter on this rock I'll build my church is what the Lord Jesus said. He had a very significant ministry. And then there's the Apostle John, the one who is beloved by the Lord Jesus and really his closest friend. And the Apostle Paul meets privately with them. Let me give you a bit of uh, history behind this meeting. Uh, The gospel history begins when the lord jesus christ who is the incarnate son of god the second member of the trinity came down from heaven and entered our world but he came to jerusalem he was a jew he was born he lived Now he enters the public stage of ministry in israel as a jew roughly ad 30 And he starts to demonstrate his authority that he is the incarnate Son of God. Now, we know that story. We've been through Luke's Gospel. We see his authority in the way he heals and casts out demons and raises the dead in his incredible teaching. It culminates in his death and his resurrection, AD 33. For the next three years, the message of salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ goes out. Now, if you know the story of the gospel, it was meant for the world. And the disciples were called to go to the world. Now, three years later, guess how far they'd gone? Well, they'd gone to the outskirts of Israel. AD 36, something changes. The gospel spreads to Samaria. Now, they're kind of the cousins of the Jews. It's the old northern Israel, if you go back to the kingdom in David and Solomon's time. What sparks the gospel going to the world is actually, ironically, a man called Saul. And he sparks it in God's sovereign plans by persecuting the church. And as people fled Jerusalem... Not the apostles. They stayed behind the official ones who were sent. They were kind of the ones who sent but stayed. The ones who fled took the message with them and they started to preach the gospel and an outworking of this was that a gospel went out beyond the realm of Israel and non-Jewish people began to believe and the first church that was planted and was born was in Antioch up north of Israel. The apostle Paul was the Pharisee Saul. He's converted on the road to Damascus. And he is commissioned to take the gospel to these Gentiles that he hates. The great irony in the way God works. He totally transformed Saul, who hated Gentiles, to Saul, who loved them. And Paul goes out then and takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentile mission begins. And a Gentile is literally a non-Jew. Now, we may have a few people here of Jewish background. I suspect most of us are Gentiles. Uh, We are non-Jews. In the words of kind of the culture of that day, we're kind of the heathen, the pagans. That's us. And you see, the big question in the early church was not the question of human sexuality. It is a big one in today's church. Uh, The big question in the early church was not did Jesus bodily raise from the dead? Was he really alive after he died? No. Everyone had seen him. It was well attested and accepted. There were some controversies about it, but that was not a big debate. Do you know what the big debate in the first century in the early church was about? How could we, as non Jews, actually be Christians? You see, the debate ran like this. Um, Jesus, Yesu, he's a Jewish man. He was, wasn't he? He's a Jewish saviour. He saved the Jewish people. Uh, you Gentiles, us, if you want to be saved, yes, Ayesu and Moses. You've got to become Jewish. Well, that's how many people thought. Many, but not all. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up to, again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles, amongst the pagans. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. And you see, Paul goes up to Jerusalem and Paul has been preaching a message that says God accepts people not on the base of race or colour or skin or whether you're Jewish or whether you're non-Jewish. You don't need to fulfil the law of Moses. What you need to do is actually believe the gospel that Christ died for you. And on that basis your sins are forgiven and you're accepted and you're justified and you're adopted into his family and he goes up there to meet with peter james and john the big three and it's a private meeting and he's fearful now what he's not fearful about is this he's not fearful thinking maybe i got my message wrong you see we've already seen in chapter one that it his message has come from heaven it wasn't made up by him it wasn't given to him by other people it was by revelation it came he knows it is the correct message the message of grace that god accepts people not on the basis of our religion or ritual or efforts or deeds but purely on the basis of what god has done in christ And he goes up there not fearful because he thinks the apostles don't understand the gospel. He knows they understand the gospel. He's seen them preach the gospel. I think this is what he's afraid of. He's afraid the apostles have gone weak at the knee, so to speak. That they won't stand up to a group who have come in called Judaizers. Who are saying, Jesus, yes, but you need to have the jewish trappings that go with being an israelite moses circumcision ritual and you see he's already experienced and we'll see this next week one of these big three going weak at the knee and segregating god's people on the base of race and religion and not eating with the gentiles and so he goes up there and you see he's afraid Will Peter, will John, will James, will they cave in to these people who are changing the gospel and adding to the gospel? And he does a very provocative thing. Now, you might not think too much of this, but he brings Titus along and you see he's brought Barnabas. Barnabas, he's a good Jew, Christian Jew, but good Jew. Uh, But he brings Titus. Now, Titus is not a Jew. Titus speaks Greek. Titus is a big Greek guy. Well, I don't know how big he was, but he's a Greek. Likes his souvlaki. Titus is not circumcised. How they figured that out, I'm not quite sure, but anyway, we'll leave that. Yeah, my mind is wandering in ways that are not helpful. He brings Titus to the meeting. Incredibly provocative. And you see, the meeting's outcome, he'll know it straight away. Really, by how they treat Titus. You don't need much discussion. The question is, will the big three welcome Greek Titus in? Have a look what happens. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a greek you see at stake in the meeting was this did titus have to convert to the christian faith by becoming culturally jewish or was he fine as he was and to be accepted as a brother in christ united by the grace that is found in our lord jesus christ And you see, the meeting concludes, he is a brother as he is. And he does not need to change. Now, you might think, is that really the most important meeting in Christendom? I want to say to you, yes, it is profoundly important. You see, the meeting had arisen because, you see, in verse 4, false brothers had infiltrated their ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. There was a freedom that was at stake. He says in verse 5, We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. You see, what was at stake was the truth of God's message to the world. What is the gospel? Sorry, I've jumped ahead. What it means? Firstly, it means being united in a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could sum the gospel up in three parts. It's about believing that God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world on our behalf. It is about believing that this son has died on a cross on our behalf for all of our sins. And it's about believing that this God who sent his son into the world to die for our sins on our behalf has been raised from death on our behalf. It's a message of substitution. That someone has done what we cannot do. Let me say that again. It's a message of substitution. That God has sent his son to do what we cannot do. He's died in our place and he's offering us new life. And it's all on the basis of Christ. It's not on the basis of what we do, what our religious background is, what our cultural background is, what the colour of our skin is, what languages we speak, what money we have or don't have. The gospel is a message of grace. And you see, in Galatians, at the heart of it was the atonement that was being debated. Was what Christ did on the cross enough to pay for our sin? Or did you need to culturally become a Jew to complete that? Paul says no and you see how are Christians united it's through a common belief in the gospel that I am no better than you that you are no better than me you see no culture is more superior to any other culture every culture has its blind spots And our natural inclination, I think, is to be racist in the sense that we will typically always see that we have some sense of superiority to other cultures. And the interesting thing in the world is most cultures think they're more superior to the other cultures of the world. Now, all cultures will have some things which are more significant, which are admirable and worthy in terms of the way they've developed. But all cultures will have blind spots and weaknesses. And you think of Western culture and we will espouse some of the great things about it. But there's some incredible blind spots in our Western culture which are just idolatrous and evil. You see, people are united not on the basis of who they are and what they've done. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're united by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's why Neville Naden said profoundly, our mission partner in Broken Hill, reconciliation between white and black will happen in this country through the gospel. It's when we're reconciled to God that we actually find reconciliation with each other. And you see, Neville is our Christian brother. And so unity comes with this common belief of the gospel. It also comes with the common experience of God's grace. Have a look at verse 9. James, Peter, John, those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. When they recognised... The grace given to him, they weren't saying we just have an agreement on a doctrine statement. There was this common experience of grace and forgiveness and adoption into God's family. And you see, we are united with Christian brothers and sisters, whoever they may be, when we have this common understanding of the gospel and this common experience of grace. And these are the two simple criterion to judge whether you are in unity with christian brothers and sisters do you believe the gospel have you experienced the reality of knowing the father loves you that the son has died for you and the spirit has entered your life well that's what christian unity is about it's achieved in the gospel but secondly christian unity has limits and you see the issue in paul's day is the same today not everyone actually has the same gospel and that's the thing that was so striking. You see, these Judaizers who came in, they believed in a gospel. They believed in Jesus. They just thought you needed to add to it. They were very zealous in their belief in God. They practiced their religion wholeheartedly, and you'll meet people who practice religion wholeheartedly and have a very deep, abiding belief in God, but have a different gospel than the gospel of grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead bodily and physically. And Paul describes them as false brothers. They were not in unity. And we must recognise that as much as we need to unite as Christians together with people who are different from us but have the same understanding and belief in the gospel there are limits to that unity and we cannot be in unity with everyone even within our own denomination as anglicans there are many brothers and sisters i'm not in unity with because they actually do not believe in the gospel we're not talking about finer points of theology here we're talking about do they actually believe jesus bodily rose from the grave in the resurrection? Do they actually believe Jesus died as a substitution, atoning for my sins on the cross? And when that is not there, there is no unity. You see, the gospel has limits in terms of the unity it brings. But thirdly, the gospel and its fruit. We're not united with everyone, but its fruits cultural and ethnic freedom. I want to ask you the question this. Uh, What would have happened if the outcome of that meeting was that they said, actually, no, we can't have Titus come and have lunch with us unless he gets circumcised? What would have happened if the Judaizers had won the day? This is my take on what would have happened. We would have had to have become Jewish to be Christian. And Christianity would then be associated with a particular culture, not any culture. You'd have to set up Jewish Christian ghettos in every city. It would lead to external criteria separating us from the people of the world rather than internal and moral transformation through the gospel. You see, religious religious rules and rituals would define us rather than moral and ethical transformation. You see, the gospel creates a cultural and ethnic freedom. You see, in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you are a banker or a skater, a financier or a garbage collector, whether you're pierced or not pierced, whether you have tattoos or don't have tattoos, whether you surf or ride a bike or walk or just sit at home and enjoy the view, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're yellow or whether you're brown, you see you're neither better nor worse if you're any of them in the gospel all racial social and cultural barriers are actually broken down because being a christian is not based on cultural rules and norms religious rituals and behaviors it's based on what christ has done for us on the cross no matter who we are and what we do and what race we're from, what income we earn and what hobbies we indulge in, we actually won in Christ. Now, let me ask you a provocative question. I want you to fast forward and imagine it's the AGM. That's the annual general meeting. And you are here, which is unusual because most of you don't come. <laughs> would be good if you did come, let me say. But you turned up that night. We had a lot of people here and we put pictures of the people up just so you knew who they were, that you were voting for parish council. One of them you saw tonight, uh, this morning, Justin. And here's one of the photos that comes up. You think, oh, that's a nice lady. She comes at five o'clock. She works in business. She looks fairly respectable. And then someone from night church comes up. You don't know too much about them. In fact, you don't know too much about either of them. Which one would you vote for? And why? You know I'm being provocative. It's worth saying they are fictitious characters, though we have people who look like both of them in this church. And both of them, if they were mature Christian people, saved by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, mature in their faith, wanting to see the church grow here, both of them would be suitable for parish council, wouldn't they? Even though one of them probably looks a little bit different to you. Because I know many of you don't wear suits, that's right, isn't it? Have a look at verse 6. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. And he's talking about the apostles here. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. You see, why was Titus so important to that meeting and why was that meeting so significant? Because it was the litmus test for all of Christendom. Is the gospel really a message about a God who loves everyone? Unconditionally. And it does not matter who you are or where you've come from, or what background you'll have, or what mistakes you've made, God's grace covers you. And we are united in that reality. This meeting proclaimed in the most vivid and profound ways, you do not need to change to become friends with God, you just need to believe in Jesus and follow him and his instruction on how to live. You see, whoever you are and whatever culture you're from, whatever class you come out of, we are one in Christ Jesus and it's why that Sunday on Anzac Day at that church I attended was one of the most profoundly disturbing moments I've had in church life. To see this beautiful Japanese lady. She has a PhD. She lectured at the university. She'd been a missionary in Papua New Guinea. She and her husband sold everything and went to Afghanistan to train Islamic surgeons as eye doctors, to be a witness to them and the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel abolishes racism and classism. And friends, if we are to be that church, we must take this deeply into our souls. I want to ask you a simple question. How do you know that you've been transformed by the gospel in this area of gospel unity? I have a very simple question for you. When you look at the people who you are friends with here at church, who you have coffee with, who come into your house for meals, who you chat to after church because you've made an effort to get to know them? Are they all just like you? I want you to think about that, please, because it shouldn't be the case if you really understand gospel unity. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel breaks down barriers. May we be a place that welcomes everyone in. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We're now going to celebrate King.